And the reason I'm here is to ask you to please be sure to get to at least one of our weekend worship experiences, the weekend of February 18 and 19. Now, I want you here every weekend, but especially February 18 and 19. That's what we call Vision Weekend. We're going to look out in the future. I'm going to share with you a major strategic movement that we think God is calling us to be about as a church. Vision Weekend, February 18 and 19. Please don't miss it. One of the things that I've been quite convicted about of late is that the church of our size and scope should be making a huge difference in our valley and in our community for Jesus and for the gospel of Jesus. As I survey our cultural landscape, though, I'm convinced that our impact as a church for Jesus and for the gospel is not all that it could be. February 18 and 19 at Vision Weekend, as we like to call it, I'm going to share with you an invitation to lock arms with the whole Journey Church community as we get about living in such a way that the cultural and social landscape of our valley is affected person by person by person because of the gospel of Jesus Christ in you. Now, there's no way that that can happen with just one or two people getting on it. There's no way that can happen with one or two hundred people getting on it, for that matter. Rather, it's going to take every single one of us wholly, entirely sold out to living on the mission of Jesus Christ every single day of our lives if we're going to influence the social, economic, spiritual, even tangible change that we think Jesus wants to bring through us right here. Would you please clear your calendar, make sure you're here, Vision Week in 2012, February 18 and 19, as we step into what we think is God's preferred future for us as Journey Church. And I promise you, what we think that God is asking of us will be absolutely worth selling out for and giving your life to. All right. I'll tell you why we don't invite him up here, because he wears weird lumberjack shirts and scares people. I really hope he's not here today. Um, In all seriousness, that should be a great weekend. Uh, Make sure you're here and make sure you bring a friend, because it'll really uh, give us a flavor for uh, where we're headed in the the near future around Journey. So please... uh, Please try to get here next weekend. It should be a lot of fun. Today, Doug Hartzheim, we've got a special guest. Uh, if you don't know Doug, he's been around here a, a lot of years. Uh, I met him because of Journey Church. He's become a great friend through that and uh, actually become one of my mentors. Uh, and I'm really, really anxious uh, to hear what uh, God has laid on Doug's heart again uh, at this worship experience. And so um, would you please give him a great Journey welcome, Doug Hartzheim. Good morning. Good to be with you. Today we're going to be talking about the two simple words, I believe. We're going to just settle right in on those two words and what they mean and how they can inspire faith and how they can just help us as we walk through life and just constantly affirming and reaffirming to to Christ and to ourselves that we believe in him and we're not going anywhere and we believe that he can do anything that we can ask or think. You know, when I was a youngster, we used to go to this big Lutheran church down in California. It was, it was absolutely enormous and uh, had big stained glass windows. And one of the things they used to do in that church every week was say the Apostles' Creed. And um, I can remember by the time I was an adolescent or maybe 13, 14 years old, saying those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And uh, there was just something about the affirmation of our belief in Jesus Christ. And it, uh, it made an impact on me, even though really I wasn't, I can't say I was ever that close to God. I believed in God. And then by the time I was in seventh and eighth grade, I can absolutely tell you I wasn't living probably a life that, that God would be too proud of. But um, those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, I mean, it meant something to me to say them. And I think it's probably tied and correlates closely to those verses in uh, in the New Testament where it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we know that we'll be saved. So there's just something about saying those words that from the Apostles' Creed to me that was a centuries-old tradition but is very meaningful. And yet Jesus says in the New Testament that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter into it. So it really takes that childlike faith. That, in fact, there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus calls a little child over to him and he refers to that child as a lowly child. In other words, a, the, a, a child, and we must come with the humility of that lowly child if we really want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And as kind of an example of that today, we are really blessed to have 
Jordan and Emily with us from Campus Crusade on the Montana State campus. And why don't you give them a warm welcome. They're going to come and share the, their salvation message with us. Hi, Jordan. I guess you go first. Um, I am from Bozeman, born and raised, and um, I was blessed with parents who loved the Lord. And that was always figured out for me. That was always something that I never really had to question. And so when I went to um, figure out where I wanted to go to college, I wanted to find myself. And so what better way to find yourself than to go to Missoula, Montana, and come and go see. <laughs> and <laughs> so um, I went there, and God went to the bottom of my list. He was the last of my priorities and the last thing I wanted to seek and find. And so I started... Um, jumped on the bandwagon of good old college, and I was empty. And I would come home and, and see my friends who were walking with the Lord and knew that that was something that I was missing in my life. And so after my first year of Missoula, I went home, and I was sitting at my parents' house, and I just felt like God just tapped me on the shoulder, and he was like, you need to get out of here. You need to start living for me and, and figure this out. And so I went downstairs and got my, got my laptop and transferred, and I was transferred within a week to MSU, and um, I immediately got plugged into crew, and I started realizing that how empty I was, that I was looking to the worldly things for satisfaction in Missoula, and... I knew after going to Tahoe on a summer project that God was all I needed and that all I needed to do was just say yes and look to him and know that he's the only one that's, that's going to give me life and contentment in life. And so um, from that point in Lake Tahoe, I have made it um, to live for him and it's brought me to this point. That's awesome. That's so neat. I, when you share that story, I'm thinking, yeah, I, could, I could get to know God in Lake Tahoe. That's <laughs> I can resonate with that. And how do you know Emily? Um, Emily and I went to high school together, and um, she actually went to Missoula also. Her name came and goes, so um, we both have that in common. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we we were just kind of connected every now and then. Okay, so. great. And then go ahead, Emily, share your story and how the two of you kind of connected through all this. Okay. It's a lot bigger crowd now, so it's a little bit more nerve-wracking. I'm just going to say I'm going to start shaking up here. Um, let's see. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, my uncle was gay, and he actually died of AIDS. So I kind of had this bitter taste in my mouth about church or religion or even God himself. And um, I guess my down, downward spiral started when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, my house burned down, um, and I watched it burn down, and it was just... A really hard thing, and, and in response to it, I uh, became anorexic because that was my way to control control things in my life. And then I decided to go to Missoula, which, of course, as all of you know, that it's not a good decision. <laughs> um, but so I went to Missoula, and the first semester was it was fun. You know, it was. It was fake though. I was in the party scene. I had friends who. I thought were my best friends, and it turned out that they were just, you know, my part, my party friends. And uh, second semester came around, and I fell in love with this guy, and turned out to be a drug dealer. And um, I devoted myself to him, and I basically lost myself. And you know, I I got D's and F's, and um, turns out I was just another girl on his on his arm. And uh, so at that point, I was just super lost, and I decided to move to California for the summer, um, thinking that that would, you know, help me, I would change, and still thought I had my life under control, and that, you know, I, I had it all together, and I ended up coming back to Missoula, and, you know, making the point of, oh, I'm not going to party, I'm not, you know, I'm going to choose good friends this time, and I got sucked right back into the party crowd with those same friends, and um, then, you know, I got to the point where I was at my lowest on my lows, I didn't know where to turn anymore, my friends were just not really friends, and um, I got to the point where I just I didn't want to be be here anymore. I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I actually ended up getting an MIP um, in December, like well, my, December of my sophomore year of college. Okay, I gotta just ask because I've heard you tell this twice. What is an MIP? It's a minor in possession. Oh, okay. okay so yeah. It makes me actually, nervous I sh- even talking I about it. I should have known that back <laughs> in our day. They didn't call it that. 
I was downtown in Missoula. I had a fake ID. Um, not, not good at all. It's not, it's not worth it. Trust me. Um, so I came, I ended up coming back here. I knew that I needed to change or else I wasn't, I wasn't going to make it. Um, came back here, was at a basketball game, <laughs> and I ran into Jordan, and um, she kind of snagged me and um, shared her faith with me and just kind of put something in me that, that just started to fill me. And I went to Missoula, back to Missoula, once the second semester started, and something had changed in me, and within two weeks, I, tra- I came back here. And within a month, I devoted my life to Christ, and, and ever since then, it's been it's been different. I mean, it's not been like, oh, all my problems, you know, are gone or anything like that. But I have someone there for me. God is always there for me. And that right there is, is all you can ask. And, and I'm telling you, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> it really is. That is so awesome. Isn't that awesome, you guys? Give them a hand. Thanks, Emily. That is great. He's just in the business of rescuing us from ourselves and from darkness and from really uh, just the lowest of lows. And you, you sit there and you hear that story and you think, how could, how could somebody or both these gals at, at the, just such a vibrant point in their life come to that, that point of life where maybe life didn't even matter anymore, right? And I tell you, it's the enemy and he gets to us and he beats us up and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But the, the fact that they came to Christ and, and said, you know, I believe, I'm willing to trust you. And they, they were willing to come as a lowly child, as an innocent child, and uh, receive the kingdom of, of God. And that's really the nuts and bolts of what we're going to talk about today. You know, Jesus was terrifically concerned about unbelief. In the New Testament, many, many times, he would confront his disciples and in, in different ones and say, uh, who do the people say that I am? And more directly, he'd say, who do you say that I am? And that's really what he's asking us today, isn't it? And, uh, and it's kind of a bizarre uh, back and forth that he had with those disciples because they would see him perform the just most un- unbelievable, incredible miracles day in and day out. And he still had, you know, had to live with the frustration. And it troubled him that his, his disciples didn't quite get it. I mean, it's like, you know, you just saw me feed 5,000 people people out of a little basket, right? And then the same day, I sent you out on the, the boat and I dismissed the crowds. And then I come walking to you out on the water and you doubt me. What's up with that? You know, and it, it was just very troubling for Jesus. And so he was continually asking, you know, uh, what about you? Who do you say that I am? We're going to pick up the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their brother that had, had just recently died. He had been, he had been in the tomb for four days. And when Jesus walks up onto the scene, and Mary and Martha separately uh, came to them, to Jesus, and said, you know, hey, if you'd have been here sooner, my brother wouldn't be dead. You know, you, you, you could have healed him, but you probably can't raise him from the dead. And it troubled Jesus. And in fact, some versions say he chafed in his spirit. And, uh, and then he says this, this scripture. He, he, he says in John eleven forty, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. And you know, that's, a, that's one of those hallmark verses. It's a little obscure, but it's one that we need to focus on. Because the glory of God, I've heard it defined as the manifestation of all of the excellencies of God. You know, it's like the, all the evidences of God, those experiences that, that he brings to us, and, and uh, he layers experience after experience after experience on on us as we see his involvement in our life and you get to be older like we are and we can look back and say wow I have a whole uh, an inventory of times that I can think of in my life where God showed me his glory the manifestations of all of his excellencies you know I heard a message years ago probably 25 years ago by Chuck Swindoll and he was talking about the evidence of power is change and what he says is that he was driving across the Hoover Dam down in the Nevada desert and as he went across the dam, he saw all this hydroelectric uh, generating capacity, right? And then he gets to his hotel room in Vegas and probably takes a nap and, and you know, whatever. At that night, he opens the curtains to his, his hotel room and he sees this incredible neon city. And he said, that's the evidence of power, is change. And so the evidence of power 
is something that we see in our life and, and because of the change that Jesus brings. And, you know, Pastor Brian has asked me if I wouldn't have Margot share her testimony about when God healed her because it's, it's an incredible story. It's, it's at kind of one end of the spectrum, and it's, it's a, but it's a great story of obedience and trust and kind of blocking out others. And, uh, and go ahead and share with us, honey. My story begins on March 2nd, 1992. We had just come home from a date to back to our house, the four kids with the babysitter, and the kids were all wound up, and uh, that time Haley, our youngest, number four, was three and a half, and I was holding her, she had her legs wrapped around my waist, and then she fell backward, and she did this three times while I'm holding her, and each time I had to lunge forward to get her, and I finally got smart and put her down. Uh, didn't think nothing of it until the next morning. I just washed my face. I turned to the towel rack to put the towel on the rack. And when I turned back to the mirror, uh, I watched and felt in horror my back twist and contort to a really weird shape. And it was very painful. Um, after two different doctor visits, uh, the reality was I sprained my back and it was going to take nine to ten weeks to heal. This was on the very first day of my kids' one month off break from year round school. So I was really devastated. On March 22nd, it was a Sunday morning. I was sound asleep in bed. It was 6.20 in the morning, and the Lord woke me up. And he said, get up, get ready for church. I'm going to heal you. And I thought, oh, all right. I'm so desperate. I hate this pain. I'll do anything. Oh, that would be awesome. And then he said to me, I want you to go forward and lie down on the altar prostrate. Well, at that, I cringed a little bit, and I thought, oh, everybody's going to think I'm a goofball. And... I got to just interject. I've been wanting to do this for the last two services. In our family, that word goofball is almost like a swear word. (laughs) (laughs) She calls me a goofball, I run. And so when she says that about herself, that's the pressure she was feeling (laughs) that morning. It wasn't good. (laughs) So uh, the Lord then said to me, I hung on the cross for you naked, and you can't lie on the altar prostrate. Well, at that, I was stunned to even compare the two. And then in the next five or ten minutes, I felt the Lord allowed me to have a little glimpse of the deep humiliation he went through. Uh, I had never really thought about the fact that he was naked, although in the scriptures it says they stripped him of his clothes. Uh, We see the crucifix, little necklace, or Easter pageant, and Jesus always has a loincloth on. So I never really even thought of the fact that he was naked. And so it was just an amazing uh, experience. And so I humbled myself, and I asked for forgiveness. And I just said, uh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And, of course, you know, what's the big deal of lying prostrate on the altar? So I got up and got out of bed. And at that moment, Doug was, like, rolling over in bed. And he goes, what are you doing up? And I go, I'm going to go to church. Jesus is going to heal me. (laughs) And so um, over the next three hours, um, I got the girls ready, their hair, my hair. And I couldn't lift my arms up higher than my shoulders. And so by now, I'd been on my feet for three hours, and that was the longest I'd been standing up, and I was the most in pain I had been and the most crooked I had been. And I went to go by the mirror, and I saw myself, and the devil threw doubt at me, and he said, and you think the Lord can heal that? And I thought, well, I'm not as gung-ho as I was three hours ago, but yes, and get get behind me, Satan. And on the way out to get in the car, I grabbed our children's Bible story book, And in the car, I read out loud on the way to church the story of Naaman the leper, and it really renewed my faith. Uh, When we got to church uh, at the time, the pastor called me down. I said, can I say something first? And I got up and just shared the story that I just shared with you. And I had also, uh, on a little adding machine, a little paper readout, I had... uh, tallied how much money I'd spent at the doctors thus far, $400. And over the next six weeks, I was planning to spend another $600 going to the chiropractors, having ultrasonic massage and all that. And um, I tore that up in front of everybody. I said, I'm not going to have to go back to the doctors. The Lord's going to heal me. I took one step away from that microphone, and there was a real tingling all over my back. And it was like a strong tingling, like when your foot goes to sleep, but it wasn't irritating like that. And I just knew my healing was beginning. And I went down, lied, lie on the altar prostrate, put my hand, head on my hands, and uh, my pastor put his hands on my head like a cap. And when he got to the words, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it felt like 
uh, warm uh, oil was being poured out of a glass bottle and it just went all over my head. It went down my neck, spread out over my shoulders, went all the way down my back, all the way down to my knees and it just felt wonderful. I knew I was healed. I stood up from the altar, I raised both hands and for the first time in almost three weeks, I stood straight and my spinal column was straight and it just felt so awesome. Then I bent down, then I stood up again, bent down. I did that three times, it was just felt so good. And uh, I just praise God for that wonderful experience, what he did for me, and I believe in healing. Amen, thank you, Annie. I, there's probably no way to describe what that did for not just our family, for that, but also for that little church. You know, my four children were all sitting in the second row here watching this, and they had seen how, how messed up Margo was for the prior uh, so many weeks. And, you know, this was just a little church of about 300 people. And uh, I'm just here to tell you, that church didn't see stuff like this, like maybe ever. It was what I would call dry as shredded wheat. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a bizarre moment, Right. And um, wonderful people, I don't mean to say that, I mean, just some of our best friends on the planet still go to that church. But it was just a different, different style of church. And so um, it made an impact because somebody said, you know what, I believe. Uh, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care how embarrassing this is going to feel. You know, by human standards, this is nuts. But, you know, God spoke to me. I'm going to do it. I believe. And the evidence of power is change. So that's the, that's the evidence of God right there is the change that takes place in our heart, in a healing just in life, but we get those experiences as we move on, and he layers them on over and over and over again. And it's funny, as I've stood here at these three services and looked at different people, I know a lot of those stories that you have, and, uh, uh, and how God is just, is just uh, working it out in your life. And uh, it's a blessing. And it's something that Billy Graham says, our testimony, as he plays his, his uh, life experiences and his, uh, the glory of God out in our lives, we can't, nobody can take that away from us, right? Because it's what we lived, it's what we experienced. And when you get down the road a ways, you look back and, and it just becomes the anchor of your faith. We're going to look at uh, what happens when pride gets in the way. And if you check this verse out in Luke chapter 18, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now check out the audience that he's dealing with here. As usual, he's got a bunch of grumps. He's got a bunch of cynics in the room. And he always knows what they're thinking. I, I, in either Mark 2 or Mark 4, he, you know, where the, the four buddies lift their, take the roof off that little house and he lowers the, the paralytic down there. Right there, Jesus says, no one, he, he knew what they were thinking in their spirits. He always knows what we're thinking. And so here he's got this audience, right, of a bunch of overconfident, prideful, arrogant Pharisees, and here he tells the story. And um, it's, it's a wonder they didn't try to kill him right then. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here trying to pray to you. By the way, what's he doing here, right? Uh, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. I really got it together. Life's pretty good, and I don't have any issues, and, and you and I are so lucky we've got this relationship going on, right? And uh, I'm just so cool. I mean, it just, it just oozes out of this story. I'm a giver. I'm a prayer. And, you know, everybody else says they fast. But they probably don't, but I do, right? And I never robbed anybody, no adultery, and so on and so forth. And yet, you know, it's, it's pride and arrogance, and it just makes God sick. In, in Proverbs, it says that, that uh, pride is at the very top of the list of things that God detests. And right behind that are lying lips. So, so obviously, he was not going to be in the good graces of Jesus here. And it says, the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, on me a sinner. And Jesus says that I tell you that this man, this lowly Pharisee, that's the, probably the most dis- despised individual in the entire village because he takes the last nickel from everybody and they can't even afford to feed their family. But even that guy, who maybe shouldn't even be in the temple, right? He's got a place. Just no, uh, very similar, I think, to the, the story of the thief on the cross, right? And he, Jesus just loves, loves the downtrodden and anybody that will just humble themselves and make a decision to believe in him. 
So God opposes, opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And it says in 2 Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's, that is isn't just an incredible verse, and it's really the, the, the central theme of that story with the Pharisee. I kind of paraphrase it, and here's kind of what I came up with. I'm not ashamed that I don't have it all together. I'm okay with that, and I'm in a perfect position to see a miracle in my life because of the mess I'm in, and he will rescue me, right? Because why? Because I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm not, I'm not going to walk through life prideful and arrogant. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get it out there. I've got issues, right? And the more issues I've got, the, really the better position I'm in for him to do something miraculous, if we'll just believe. Remember, if we believe, we will see the glory of God. You know, Jim Collins, in one of his books, tells the story of he and his wife were jogging up in the mountains of Colorado outside of Aspen. And they were between 9,000 and 13,000 feet elevation. And they're, they're jogging along. And when he gets to about 9,000 feet, he's done. He can't go any further because of that altitude, right? And it's just kind of getting to him. So he starts walking, and he comes around the corner, and he said he looks up two switchbacks ahead of him, and there goes his wife silhouetted against a blue sky. And he said, I thought to myself, what a perfect picture of health. But he said, you know what? Two months later, she had a double mastectomy. And he, he tells how, how he uses that as a metaphor how corporations can look healthy on the outside, but, of course, can be very sick on the inside. And it's really no different for us personally. We can, we can look so good on the outside, right? And we can put the... We're pretty good at putting the phony face on and uh, making claims spiritually that maybe aren't really accurate. And, and yet we can have something really wrong on the inside. And that was the, really the picture of this Pharisee. He looked great on the outside, but he was sick. And you know what? If we're dealing with pride, we're in a world of hurt because it's, God detests it. He can't work with us. And that's why he said, if you'll humble yourself, I will lift you up. But if you don't humble yourself, you're just kind of out there. And so today, when we talk about believing and coming as a lowly child, you know, so that we can receive the kingdom of heaven as a, as a child, you know, there's a certain amount of humility that has to take place before we can even get to square one. And then on a daily basis, we've got to stay right, connected to that concept of, I will boast in my weaknesses. I will, I will uh, you know, just admit I've got problems, and I'll posture myself so that God can come in and do a mighty work. And if we don't do that, you know, we're just going to keep beating our head against the same rock. And so what do we boast about? We boast about our weaknesses. And to do that, we've got to quit hiding behind this facade, right? And, and come to Jesus as a lowly child. Let's look at somebody here that ha- really did have a serious problem because we're talking about, uh, in some cases, miracles and, and the glory of God taking place in our life or experiencing the glory of God. In Second Kings, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. So she had a serious problem, right? I mean, she's about to lose her two sons. He's on his way. She is so desperate, and it is so dark that, you know what, I'm, I'm turning to God. He is the only one that can save me from this situation, this predicament. My circumstance is huge. You know, she had a choice. She could only focus on the circumstance. But you know what, she started and turned and made this turn towards God, and good things started to happen. And he, so Elisha says, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said. And then almost as an afterthought, she says, oh, I do have a little oil, right? And he says, okay, let's start with that. He said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars and don't ask for just a few. I love that. You know, it's like, get ready for a miracle. Something really cool is about to happen. Why? Because you're getting your eyes on the Almighty and he's about ready to deliver the goods. And... um, And then he says, go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour all the oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. I think it's significant that he says, shut the door and go inside. I mean, Elisha didn't go in there with her. It was just her and her two boys. 
And she walks into that room, and she shuts the door. And when she shut that door, you know, I don't know what was going on in that community, but I promise you everybody in that community knew about it. She knew about, they knew about her weaknesses, right? And she had to, you know, let go of some pride and some ego to go around and beg for a pot to put this in. These weren't little honey jars. These were pretty good-sized pots, right? So she just had to, you know, throw caution to the wind, exercise faith, and say, okay, can I borrow, like, your pot? Because... I'm collecting pots today. And uh, she, uh, she had a whole house full of them, I think, because it says that um, they brought the jars to, her, jars to her and kept on pouring. But my point on that was that we've gotta, if we're going to do business with God, he wants our undivided attention. And he wants us to lock out the world, lock out the doubt, lock out the naysayers, right? And just get with him. That's why that day Margot got healed. You know, she... It was almost like, honey, I don't want to talk right now because I think she was afraid I would say one negative word that would derail that process. Because when God does the miracle, there's the supernatural that's taking place, and he wants to, uh, our undivided attention. So, you know, this lady's pouring. It says they brought the jars and they keep pouring. So I, I picture her so busy that she's got her little oil that she started with, which is like very little, she said, and she just pours, and then they keep bringing her jars, and she keeps pouring, and she's pouring, and she's pouring, and I, I can imagine what her spirit did in the midst of this miracle. I mean, the unbelievable was taking place. God was delivering the goods, and I can imagine the joy that was starting to well up within her as she realized her problem was about to be solved and was being solved, and she's so caught up in pouring, she doesn't realize that they're down to the last jar, and she says, bring me another one, and the guy says, or kid says, mom, we're out. We don't have any more, and right then, the oil, it says the oil quit flowing. So he gives us just what we need in our time of need. I love that story because it's a simple story about God just doing his almighty God thing in our life. And, and it's a story about trust. And she was able, of course, to sell off the oil, pay off the debt, and live on it. She had so much. And all the, all the stories in the, in the Bible are about that one issue of trust. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. You know, and, and I don't want those, the five words I don't want to hear at the end of my life if I'm standing before God is, why didn't you trust me, right? We, we've got to get really good about just coming to him humbly and saying, I believe in you and I believe you can do it. And I believe you are the answer to my problems. So just a great, great story about God's intervention in our life. You know, and I think another thing that gets us down, on the one end you've got um, pride, on the other end, sometimes it's just plain old-fashioned self-doubt. We, we get down on ourselves. You know, the whole gospel, I think, can be boiled down to one verse of Jesus where he says, The devil came, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly. That's really the whole thing in a nutshell, right? We've got the enemy on one hand. We've got the abundance of Christ on the other. And I think that one of the things that the enemy uses more than as much as anything else is self-doubt insecurities, self-condemnation. You know, somebody says something and we go home, we overthink it. We just like, well, you know, I don't feel like I'm just kind of depressed now. I'm, I'm dealing with discontent or negativity or whatever it is. But there's a self-condemnation that the devil uses. And you know what? There's an answer to that. And it's here in 1 John 3. It says that we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, isn't that interesting that in the scripture, it really, it just says our hearts condemn us. We can be hard on ourselves, And the enemy is particularly good at using this weapon against us. But it says here that we can be at peace in his presence whenever this happens, whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. You know, if I just know that much, I got a really good chance of making it. And why? Because he knows everything. He knows everything about us. He knows the situation. So we don't have to carry it. If we, just, if we just give it to him and recognize that he is greater. You know, he's greater, he's stronger, he's higher. We're going to sing that later on. He just, he is almighty God. And he removes this burden from us and he takes it on himself. And then it says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God and we, we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and we do what pleases him. It's, it's key that we don't pass over that word obey. Because it says we obey his commands and do what pleases him. You know, when we start obeying and the obedience kicks in, then we've got the rest of the story. I mean, it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to 
exercise your faith in action. And, and when he calls us, we, we really do exercise obedience. You know, Moses didn't just end up out there on the edge of the Red Sea waving his magic staff over there and parting the sea, right? Um, it started way back when he had self-doubt, and he had, he had no confidence really whatsoever. He wanted to help his people. And God had talked to him through a burning bush and revealed himself to him, but Moses was still trying to weasel out of it. He had, I think I counted eight different times where Moses, in a conversation with God, exhibits practically no confidence. Like, send somebody else. I don't want to do it. I, I don't I have a speech impediment, you know, and what's Pharaoh going to, he's not going to listen to me because I got this speech problem, and the people aren't going to listen to me because of that. And God says, well, I gave you your mouth. I'm going to, you know, trust me. And Moses says, after that, still, you know, get somebody else. And then God says, it says God's anger burned against Moses because of his doubt, because of his unbelief. But somewhere in there, Moses kept experiencing God. And as I said, if we just keep experiencing God, it's layer after layer of him revealing himself to us. And we see that supernatural start to develop. And Moses saw that. And finally, in the seventh chapter of Exodus, it says that Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. And when, and when it's from that point forward, from, from when they really got obedient, there was never another time that this confidence issue popped up. Man, they went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, the most evil dictator of the time, uh, through all of the ten plagues. And, you know, the last words you hear in that whole story practically are Moses at the edge of the Red Sea saying, hey, stand firm, everybody. You, those Egyptians that are chasing us, take a good look at them because it's the last time you're ever going to see them. But he didn't start out with that kind of confidence. He started out over here, and then he started experiencing God all the way through. And that's why it's so important that we just, we just take those first steps of faith. And if you're not a believer today or you're, you're kind of exploring the world of Christianity you know, it all starts with that first simple little step. And then as God reveals himself to us, he gives us his, he, we will, he says we'll see the glory of God. I want to talk a little bit about Roxy. Roxy is uh, a lady that used to be my assistant here in Bozeman uh, almost 30 years ago. You know, one of the greatest ladies I've ever known. And she went to take a job somewhere else. And at the, and at the end of that very first week with this other person, um, she showed up back at my office about lunchtime. So she worked there all of four and a half days, and this guy fired her. He said, give me your keys, and he was very rude to her. He said it wasn't a good fit, and so on and so forth. And she was absolutely devastated. She, I mean, could only see her circumstance. She was absolutely sobbing, uh, to the point of almost being hysterical, but she, her self-esteem had been attacked. She had just been brought down by this event. It totally caught her off guard. And, uh, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I'm like 28 years old. I got a sobbing woman in my office saying, well, you know, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you know what? Let's get in the car. We'll go for a ride. And somebody had given me a Campus Crusade uh, praise tape. And, and this is like the original one, I think, back from the dark ages. And uh, it said, uh, and Dr. Bill Bright says at the beginning of that tape, he says, the devil is allergic to praise. Man, I can hear those words is just like it was yesterday. And the darkness in that cloud that was over Roxy and me that day uh, was just heavy. And I really didn't know what to do. But we started driving. And we worked our way out to Three Forks where we, we had lunch. But we went out through Churchill and back way down off the freeway through Logan. And the whole way there, we just listened to the praise tape. And you know what? The devil is allergic to praise. And, and that darkness left. And pretty soon I could hear Roxy humming. And then every once in a while she'd sing a few words and her squeaky little voice. And uh, it was just cool. And firsthand, I was able to witness what happens when we simply praise God at sometimes the darkest hour. And, you know, the rest of that story is, I'm talking about Roxy Klingensmith, who many of you know. She knows I'm sharing this story today. Roxy went on to, to be one of the founders of Family Promise here in Bozeman that, that helps the homeless. You've probably seen a couple of different front page stories on Roxy. And uh, she became an ordained deacon in the Episcopal Church. She is currently uh, the archdeacon for the state of Montana in the Episcopal Church, which means she's like a shepherd to all the pastors in uh, the Episcopal Church. She's, uh, she's had a jail ministry down at their county jail here for many, many years. And, and she's on a first-name basis with all the sheriffs and everybody down there. And the most notorious 
cases that have ever come through Bozeman in the last 20 years, Roxy's been right there with those people in their cells, murderers or, or accused murderers, what have you. And, uh, I mean, God, the bottom line is God didn't want her being anybody's assistant. He had a bigger plan, right? And the darkness of that hour was heavy. But, you know, God got her through that time. She had, that day, I mean, she, was, she had a divorce that was pending. I mean, things just weren't going well. And, uh, but one of my favorite, favorite ladies on the planet, planet. And so God's asking us, kind of, what, what do you have in your hand, right? What, uh, you know, what do you have in the house? What is it that you have that you can offer me that, so we can get a miracle started here? I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how discouraged you are. You know, there is hope. And that's really the message today. If we'll just believe, you know, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, that you would see the glory of God, the manifestations of all of his excellencies. We just have to believe. To do that, we've got to get rid of our pride. We can't put this facade on that says, hey, everything's okay, because you know what? It's not. Even if you think it is, it's not, because you've got to humble yourself, and the only way it's, it is okay is if God himself is flowing through you and revealing himself to you. You know, I'm thinking about this, this little cartoon I saw years and years ago. It's about a little chicken and an egg, not the chicken in the egg, but a chicken in the egg. And uh, there's four frames of this cartoon. In the first frame, the little chick is in the egg, and he's trying to get out. And there's a little crack around the top of the egg, and you can kind of see it pushing up. The next frame, the little chick has uh, got its head out. It's got a look to the left, and it's got kind of a scared look on its face. And the third frame, it's looking to the right. Same scared face. Probably doesn't like what he sees because in that fourth frame... It's back inside the egg, trying to, trying to put the lid back on, right? And, uh, you know, that's really what we do, folks. We look to the left and we look to the right. We really don't look up enough. We're just, we're looking over here and we're seeing nothing but issues and problems and discouragement and discontent and, and a monumental problem that you're staring down the barrel of. We look over here and there's more of the same. We've got people that are saying things that, that we just don't understand. We have broken relationships, uh, we have a job situation, and on and on and on, because it says in the scriptures that the righteous shall be afflicted, but the Lord will deliver them from them all. We're going to go through adversity. We know that. The question is, where is our focus? Right? If it's left, then it's right. It isn't in the right spot. We've got to look up. We've got to simply believe that God is greater than, than all, of, all of our sin, all of our self-condemnation, or any problem that comes our way. So... Like I said, the five words I don't want to see at the, or hear at the end of the day is, why didn't you trust me? And in 1 John 5, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And that's, that's a great verse to rest on. You know, we need to simply believe, you know, I remember an old story years, years ago I read in a book. Um, Corey Ten Boom was affiliated with the Billy Graham Association and had spent time in a, in a Nazi prison camp. But after she had gotten out, she wanted to be healed. And I forget what the injury was, but she went to a hospital. And she was, uh, uh, I think she couldn't get healed. or you know, Medically, there was a problem. But somebody was going to um, lay hands on her to heal her. And... The nurse that was on staff comes up to Corey Tenboom and says, just before this is going to happen, says, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? And, man, that gripped me. Because, you know, when we want to do business with God, we've got to get rid of this pride thing. We've got to get rid of the arrogance. We've got to get to that point where we simply boast in our weakness. It's okay to say, I got problems, I got issues, and life hasn't been good to me, and and there's this issue and that issue. But let's don't put on the facade. Because if we claim to be without sin, we make him out to be a liar, right? We want to walk in the light as he is in the light. But we don't want to be living a lie. So to get there, we've just got to, it takes, uh, takes a, a little bit of discipline and honesty. And so I don't know which of these stories might represent you today. Maybe you're like the widow that you're out of resources or you need an absolute miracle in your life. But Jesus is saying, hey, what do you have in the house? You know? And by the way, I'm not just going to give you cash. You're going to have to 
you know, take that step of faith and, and get out there with me, even to the point of looking foolish. Um, might be like Roxy or the lowly tax collector. Could be any one of those personalities that we looked at. It could be like Emily and Jordan, where you were, you know, for Jordan, she was raised in the church, but then fell away, and she just wanted to go try and experiment. And she had to kind of learn the hard way that it didn't work, you know. And it's so cool how God brought her back home to a safe place. And we are so grateful that of all the campuses in the United States, good old MSU has just this vibrant campus crusade ministry, and we're so blessed with that. And then Emily, who is just unbelievable that she got so low, she thought about taking her life. But then she reached out and said, you know, I'm going to trust you, God. So here she is today sharing her faith and experiencing the supernatural and experiencing the the glory of God. So I don't know if you're depressed or discontented. You know, who would know what your problem is? But I know that for most of us, changes are probably necessary to take us to the next level. There's probably going to be something in your life that you're going to have to deal with to, to get to that next step with Christ. In other words, if we just keep on with the status quo, the, the status quo, what, you know, what's going to change? Probably nothing. And I would say near the top of that list is an issue of pride. Because until we unload you know, our so-called righteousness and our goodness and exchange that for our weaknesses and, and, and position ourselves for God to lift us up through those weaknesses, we're just going to keep beating our head up against the same old rock. And it doesn't work. And so we got to deal with it, folks, and we got to we got to recognize. You know, these two girls right here, they had to probably make a whole new set of friends. Their whole circle of friends started to take on a new shape. You know, and I know that because I was there, just like you guys. I was a drinker and a partier, and thought I had every all the answers to everything because, you know what? I just wasn't thinking. I was just partying. And it says in the Bible that your former friends are going to wonder. Right, And it talks about this former life, which is indicative of the fact that, you know what, we've got to make a change. Something's got to give. I think it starts with pride and ego and just getting out of the way, recognizing the fact that we need help. So why don't you just take your stuff and set it aside, and, and, and I invite you to go to prayer right now. And just whatever it is that you need to talk to God about, let's just take a minute. Just... Just bow your heads and just you and him, nobody else. Will you confess to him right now? Just confess to God what it is. That only you know what it is. But just confess to him. Use this as a time of just good old confessing. And I invite you to ask God to have every single corner of your life. Just give him that right now. Every space in your heart. And I invite you to just work through the issues together right now. Will you come to some agreement right now about the miracle that you know needs to take place? and that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. No matter what anybody says, put it out there and say, God, I need a miracle, and I'm giving it all to you, and we're starting today. And if you haven't given your heart to God, why not today? Why not right now? I'd invite you to step into his forgiveness, step into his healing, Step into a new life with him, just like Jordan and Emily told you about. Pray along with me, will you? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have a loving God, that you've forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so we bring ourselves to you just now, confessing our sin, confessing our need for you. And Lord, please take away my pride. Just get rid of it so that I can be in a position for you to do something mighty. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. And I'm good with that, Lord, because I know I'm not making it on my own. 
Heavenly Father, I just give myself to you and I just open my arms wide open for whatever it is you want to do in my life. And I'm the only one looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time or maybe as a, as a recommitment, I think it's important as it was for me like 39 years ago when a preacher asked me the same question because it kind of seals the deal. And who would just raise their hand and say, you know what, I made progress today and I just want, I just want to tell you about it. Thank you, right here in the middle, I see that and, and, and in the back over here. Just keep them up for me. Every, it's just so important. It's important for you. All in the back, there's, you know, those four people back there on the left. You know, there's three, four over here. We see that, and we got other people watching right here in the front. Okay, on the right, just let me see your hands. God is so good, and he wants to change it today. He wants to change your life, and he wants to be on your right. I see you over here. And uh, he wants to see a new life for you more than you can even imagine because he loves you so much. Right here, yes, back about five rows, four rows, and right in the middle here. You know, way in the back, in the, right in the center. Yes, God is so good. And then on the left, that's important for you guys, you know. Two more here, right in the front. Isn't God good? He's here, so we're not going to get in a hurry, folks. Over here, thanks for waiting. I see you. Thanks. Look into my eyes. Back in the back there, right here. God is so good, isn't he? So faithful. Over in the, in the midsection, in the back. You know, right here. Uh, I see your hand right here in the, the second section here. But you know, uh, that is such a big deal because, you know, people say, well, why do, ha- why do we have people raise their hands? All I can tell you is that 39 years ago, I did that and it meant something to me. And it was a, it was a transaction that took place between me and God. And I never knew what that would do, not just for myself, but for my marriage and for my four children and for others that I came in contact with through the workforce. And so it's a big deal. And we thank you all for just being honest and saying, you know what? Today's the start of a new deal. It's, uh, it's just an awesome experience. And just before we stop, I'm just going to ask one more time. Is there anybody that's just kind of feeling like, hey, I should have done that? And if you do, just raise your hand. Yep. See right in the middle. That's cool. Over here. Praise God. Thank you. And over on the left, this little guy in the front, back in the back. It's, so, it's such a big thing. Because Jesus said, if you believe in me, I will show you the glory of God. And you won't be able to explain it. You won't be able to understand it. But you will feel it. And you'll know that you know that you know that it's God Almighty working out his plan in your life. And uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to stop and say thanks one more time. You are so good and so faithful. And I pray for anybody here that raised their hands today and anybody that maybe didn't, that they would, that, that person would get on their knees in the quietness of their own place or maybe with somebody on staff here at Journey and that you would finish that deal and begin a new work in them as well. And we praise you, God, for who you are. Amen.